The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. So Rebecca and I, we love to, um, from time to time, vacation over in Naples, just across the, the pond there. We, um, if we get a chance for just a couple days, maybe take the kids. And we like just, it's only so close, but man, there's just something about Alligator Alley and driving over the swamp. It's like a portal. And when you get to the other side, you just feel like you're out of town, but yet it's still so close. And so um, we, we love kind of ducking over there every now and then and uh, with, the, with the kids um, or without the kids like that as well. And um, because, you know, when it's just Rebecca and I, you know, it's just like one bag, we throw some things in it and we go. When it's the kids, back the minivan up to the garage. It's all kinds of bags. I mean, it seems like the, the it, you know, when they're really little, I mean, it's like, okay, we got a pack and play. We've got a monitor. We've got, you know, diapers. You know, we've got special blankets and pillows and pacifiers and all kinds of things. And you've got all the different, you know, equipment that you might need for the beach if you go there. You know, you've got like the water wings and the boogie board and you've got the, the shovel and all these things and you're filling it all in the car and you know that everything's going to be sandy on the way back and you're just envisioning all of this and so man driving over to Naples I, I remember specifically one time we were taking the kids over there and I actually unfortunately think this has happened more than once but one time really burns in my mind there was so much to pack it seemed like just for what was going to be like 48 hours maybe 72 but there was so much to pack and we were going around we got like all everyone's pillows and everyone's books for reading at nighttime and we had all, all the bags packed for everyone that everybody needed and we filled it all in and we got the the goggles and the mask and the snorkel and the flippers and we get all of that inside bathing suits like the whole thing is packed toothbrushes everything's there it's in the back and we pull out in, in the minivan from the house and we're driving along and I'm like man I just got this bad feeling we forgot something and I say to her like Rebecca did we forget something she's like I don't know we start going through the whole list you know toothbrushes yeah like count the kids there's one two three we got all the kids okay that's good Okay, didn't want to like leave one at home or something. We, so we're driving along and I just had this gnawing feeling like I'm really missing something, okay? And we're driving and there's this point on uh, Alligator Alley where you pass this one point and it's early on. There's no turning back, <laughs> right? I mean, like you're committed. All right, so you pull through and it's like the toll booth. You, once you get to the toll booth, like, all right, here we go. You pull through the toll booth. Like, it's over. Like, unless you're going to go careening over the median like a crazy person, like, you're in, okay? And so we're approaching him like, man, I know I'm, I've just, I've missed something. I've forgotten something. And we get through the, the toll booth and we're driving and a light bulb comes on. And I'm not saying a metaphoric figurative light bulb. I mean a light bulb on my dash. I had no gas. And I'm realizing this and I'm like, I forgot to get gas. There's no gas for like a hundred years from now. And I'm like looking at Rebecca and the kids are singing in the back seat. Everyone's having a happy time. Slowly panic comes over my mind. I'm gonna have to leave the kids on the side of the road. They're gonna get eaten by alligators while I'm walking. I might not make it to the gas station, okay? Rebecca's like, hey, what's wrong? No, nothing, fine, it's all fine, you know, as we're driving. 
I just remember like that, and, and we miraculously made it to like there is one gas station, gas is like $75 a gallon or something like in the middle of Alligator Alley. We actually made it, we like barely kind of putted into the gas station and filled everything up. I needed a nap, I was so stressed after that. And I just remember that, that occasion, and I just remember like uh, m barely making it, but I just remember the panic like of the all along that way. And I was reminded of that story this week because there are similarities, I feel like, to what I experienced. Maybe you've experienced something like that. There's a, similarities to that feeling of, man, I feel like I've got to be missing something. Plus that feeling of, and like uh, I'm barely making it. There's that feeling, I think, that sometimes is very similar to what we can experience on the spiritual side of our lives. Sometimes when it comes to our, our relationship with Jesus, our spiritual journey, our spiritual walk, and, and maybe on one hand, it's like, look, sometimes I, I listen to the Bible or I hear the Bible taught, and it's talking about like things like victory and like joy and peace and like God at work in my life. And I feel like I might be missing something because I'm just not seeing that as much in my life. And not only do I just have this feeling that like I'm missing something, but maybe you felt this like, and I feel like I'm barely making it. Like I've got that, the hand, like hands on the steering wheel. Like we're just trying to pull into the next gas station, just try to fill up and just make it through. And if you've ever felt like that, or maybe you're currently feeling like that, I want to show you something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to look, and we're going to be for a few weeks. It's something that he says that I think is so powerful. It's the fuel. It's the gasoline. It's the drive. It's essential. You're not getting far without this. And I want to take a look at this uh, this morning as we're kicking off this series. And, and furthermore, let me just say this, just a, a, in transparency. As I was going back through this passage, I was actually convicted. Like, I don't think what this talks about, we talk about enough. It's so central. Like, I'm not sure we speak about this enough. I want you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You have a Bible or Bible app. Open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's called 1 Corinthians. It was written by Paul to the church in the Greek city of Corinth. There is, it's in the New Testament. There's also a 2 Corinthians. Second letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. And there's some powerful things because in, in many ways, um, South Florida is a very similar region, very similar city to, uh, to Corinth. And uh, as we're looking through this, in fact, we're going to be in First and Second Corinthians in just for the next couple months in a couple different series. But we're going to start uh, today in First Corinthians 12. Let me just read these verses, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's pause right there because there's actually just a whole lot 
in there, just those first few verses. But let's just pause there for a second. He opens up and says, look, I, I want you to understand. I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. Now, maybe you say, I think I've heard of spiritual gifts before. Maybe you say, I actually, maybe I, you took like a little test where it you know, helped you understand what your spiritual gifts are. Or maybe you say, I have no idea what you're talking about when you say spiritual gifts. Is it when you like give a gift to someone, but it's like a spiritual one, like you give them a Bible, like that's a nice gift, but it's kind of spiritual. Like, what are you talking about? What is a, a spiritual gift? What we're going to walk through this in this passage, what a spiritual gift is, is it's actually something from God, from the Holy Spirit to you. It is a way that he empowers and equips you. And he says, and you say, well, yeah, I think I've heard of that before. But he says, look, you need to know this. I don't want you to be uninformed. Like you can't not know about this. You can't not know about this and be thriving in your relationship to God. As a Christian following Jesus, this is essential. You have to know about this idea of spiritual gifts. And then he goes into these next two verses. And there's a lot in here that has to do with their background as, as Corinthians, um, their religious background of following idols. It has to do with what they're experiencing in their church and some of the questions that they've sent Paul. There's a lot in there that we don't have time to dig into. But I just want to show you one aspect of these next two verses. He said, you used to follow idols, but he had a specific way he described those idols. Did you notice? You used to follow mute idols. They were statues. You can see the remains, uh, apparently, in uh, ancient Corinth of their temples. There were statues of these gods like um, Aphrodite and Apollo and uh, Hermes, Zeus, you know, uh, the, these types of ancient gods they would worship, but they were made out of marble. They would do all kinds of things like seeking and worshiping these gods, all kinds of festivals, which in Corinth were pretty sensual, pretty loose partying type thing in uh, Corinth. And they would follow these gods. And he said, but it's rock. You're seeking them and they're not telling you anything. And we today, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun is what the Bible says. So we today do the same things. We, we follow idols. It's just a little bit different. They're not like statues. Idols are more concepts like success and pleasure and vanity and popularity, power. These are the greed. These are the things that drive our idols. In the same way, we're serving these idols <clears throat> and they give us nothing back. But what a contrast to what he says. He says, you used to serve mute idols, but now there's a Holy Spirit that's speaking. And what he notices, the primary thing that you'll know with how the Holy Spirit moves is in the end, it's going to lift up Jesus Christ. There's a living, active God that wants to speak into our lives. And the basic, most fundamental, it's not the only thing he says, but the most fundamental thing he does is he draws us to the person of Jesus. We worship Jesus more. We follow Jesus more. We surrender to Jesus more. He makes us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes the bride of Christ fall deeper in love with the groom, Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But there is a living, active Holy Spirit that speaks. Okay. 
What does he say more about spiritual gifts that he's making sure that we understand? Let's pick it up in verse 4. Now, there are a variety of different gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, uh, watch how this plays out. You see a description of um, these spiritual gifts, and he includes the Lord, Jesus. He, refer, he um, refers to God, which is probably referring to the Father, and then also the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity here in, in this text, and it's important. Let me just pause. We've talked about this over the last couple months, some, but let me just pause to review. The Bible, from cover to cover, Old Testament, New Testament, says a couple things about the nature of God. There is one God. There is only one God. But that God eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They've always, one God in three persons, it's always been like that. And all three of those persons are equally God. What he's talking about is God has given each of us these gifts. And specifically, you will see he's talking a lot about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now look at some of the things he said about these spiritual gifts. He says there's a variety of different gifts, different kinds of gifts. He says, but God has given gifts to each person. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have something specifically, at least one thing, usually a couple things, that God has uniquely gifted you in. And we're not just talking about kind of like earthly talents, where it may be kind of integrated with that, but he's uniquely gifted you with something. In other words, he is going, he is going to empower you. You'll see the, the Holy Spirit's power through that gifting that you have in your life. There's a variety of different gifts, Every person, every follower of Jesus, every member of his church has been given a gift, have been given gifts that are God's power working through them for, it says, the common good. That means ultimately whatever those gifts are that he's given you, it's not ultimately for your own sake. It's not ultimately for you to feel fulfilled. It's not ultimately for you to for your own personal enjoyment, you will probably feel the joy of the Lord at work in you. But what he's doing through you is for the good, the common good of the body. In other words, he has given you gifts as a way he wants to use you in other people's lives in your church. You follow me? Okay. You say, well, what are these gifts? Let me read you um, the list he gives here. This is not an exhaustive list. Paul gives other lists other places, but let me read, read through this list. Now, there's going to be some things in here that make sense. Maybe for some of you, there's going to be things that this creates more questions. We're not going to be able to go into this list this week, but in a few weeks, we're going to go back through and talk about some of these gifts, but this is kind of an overview today. But let me read you some of these gifts. Let's pick it up in verse 8. What are these gifts that he, that he gives to us? He says, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, 
to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is one list. There are other lists he gives that, have, uh, that include other gifts in there as well, things like administration and generosity and hospitality. There's other gifts that he lists as well. But these are things that the Holy Spirit is empowering, that he's working through us to benefit each other. That means uniquely God is going to do things through those gifts that we could not do on our own. Like, we'll just see this sense of just God doing, like, like it should have like produced this kind of fruit, but because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it did far more than we could have otherwise. You say, well, there's a lot of, in that list, things like wisdom, knowledge, okay, those make sense. There's others like, what does that mean, prophecy? You know, there's question marks I have in there. Again, we'll, we'll come back to some of those things. But for now, here's what it's saying. If you are a follower of Jesus... The Holy Spirit has given you gifts that he is empowering you to use in the context of the body of Christ, the church. Okay, now I want to read these last two verses, and this is where we're going to park. Let's pick it up, last two verses, picking it up in verse, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, there's all these gifts, but here's where he brings it around. He says, but... Because of Jesus, we are all brought into one body, and there's, we've all been baptized into one body, which uh, the literal Greek translation of bap baptize, that word means kind of submerse. He says we've been submersed into the Holy Spirit together, baptized into the Holy Spirit, one body all together, and then he used another metaphor, we, we drink in one spirit. Okay. What all does that mean? Let me just bring this all together. There's one thing drenching these verses in 1 Corinthians 12. And these verses are some of the most foundational building block descriptions of church. And something drenching these verses is the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit, he's... He's in us, he's, he's um, working through us, he's empowering us, he's, through him we're, gifting, we're gifted to impact each other, we're uh, all, all brought together through the unity of the Holy Spirit so that we worship Jesus Christ as worshipers of God. And drenched through, through this passage about what it means to be a church is this idea of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now just pause with me for, for a minute. This is where we're gonna stop for today. But why are we looking at this? text. My opinion, as we look at our generation, 
our understanding of what it is that we're doing here as church, and I'm not talking specifically about City Rev, but as a generation, our understanding of church and what it is, why we do it, what's supposed to happen, I think is it more generation-wide, it's fallen apart. And not just like in society, but I think in many ways in, in among Christians. Like we don't, uh, we've lost. Like what is it that we're doing? What is this called church? And again, I'm not specifically speaking about City Rev. I'm just speaking more broadly. And what do I mean? Like just track with me here. And I think that there's part of this that's kind of intuitive for all of us. Okay, roll back to like our great-grandparents' generation. Like, they had an understanding of church they, that was cultural. Like, many of them, maybe not your great-grandparents, maybe not mine, I don't know. But generally, as a generation, they went to church because it was cultural. That's what pretty much everybody did. And if you didn't, if you're like, I am not a religious person, on Sunday morning, you would stay in your house and, like, not come out. Because it would be weird for you to be out washing your car while your neighbors are going to church. You wouldn't do that. Hey, you wouldn't do that. You'd stay in your house because it's kind of improper. Why? Because our great-grandparents, it was kind of, went to church because it was cultural. Now look, maybe our grandparents, let's go to that generation. Again, maybe not your grandparents, maybe not mine, but that as a generation, like it was starting to shift the culture. And so they would go to church because it was traditional. Well, I grew up Presbyterian, or I grew up Baptist, or I grew up Methodist, or I grew up uh, Roman Catholic, and so, I mean, that's what my parents did, and so I do that because I, you know, I go home uh, Thanksgiving. I can't face my parents if I, you know, don't go. It's kind of the tradition of our family. I've always grown up that way, so I want to continue that tradition. I believe in those traditional values, and I want to raise up my children as good Methodists or good Episcopals or, or good Catholics or, or good Baptists, and so it's, they perpetuated it because of tradition. I'm, again, these are broad strokes, but then maybe like our parents' generation, not maybe not your parents, maybe not my parents, but just in general, that tradition and the value for that tradition was waning, not as important. But they would go, still, there was something kind of inside of them that told them, like, it's a good spiritual religious thing to do. I should probably go to church. In fact, I feel guilty when I don't. And so I go to church because I think I'm supposed to go to church. And like I, I, when I go, I feel less guilty and like a good Christian. When I don't go, I feel like I'm, I've, I'm a backslidden Christian and I, I'm, I'm a bad person. So I kind of go to kind of fill up kind of the God points a little bit. And so I go like more just because I feel guilty not going. But then our generation, and this is maybe not you or maybe not me, but kind of broad, broad strokes, our generation doesn't feel the guilt, doesn't know the tradition, and there is no cultural church going. That's gone. And so our generation thinks of church, not in those categories, but I think our generation thinks of churches, that's where I get my life coaching. That's where I go, like, if I'm, like, confused, I need wisdom, like, I need some ideas, I could go to this podcast or this YouTuber, or I could go to this preacher. And so I, I just go because that's where I kind of get filled up. And so then even like in the last couple years, when everyone, when no one can go to church for a while, any kind of 
last fragments of those last ideas of church, cultural, traditional, like kind of guilt, kind of just falls away and all that's left is like, okay, where, where do I want to go to kind of get like kind of picked up? And so whereas like our great grandparents, if they were churchgoers, they might like, for them it was important. They were there Wednesday night, Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then during the week, like that was just what they did. And now for us, a few generations later, well, I go once every couple months or once a month or a couple times if there's nothing else going on and I need to kind of just get picked up. I'm not talking like that there's like a set number of times. I just want to chart kind of the, dis, the, the difference. You, you follow me here where, I, where I'm going with this? Like, I think we've lost, what are we doing? What is this? What is our doctrine of church? Like, what's our theology of the church? What does the Bible say about the church? In fact, formally, let me just, theologically, the doctrines pertaining to the church are called ecclesiology. It comes from the Greek term for church, ecclesia. Ecclesiology are the doctrines of the church. Like we just as a generation have a very broken ecclesiology. And so if we're going to look and say, okay, what, okay, we don't decide what church is. I don't get to decide what I want church to be for me. I don't get to decide what church is for my family. Uh, what does the Bible say? God invented the church. He set up the church. He founded the church. He empowers the church. God, you tell me what is the church, and we will do it. Like, each one of us will follow it if we're following God's word. What is the church? And here's what I think this passage is saying. Before you can build an ecclesiology, before you can understand the doctrines of the church, there's an even more foundational doctrine that you have to understand. It is who is the Holy Spirit. Before we can, and that, the doctrines of the Holy Spirit are pneumatology. So before we can have an ecclesiology, we have to have a robust pneumatology because this is drenched with the Holy Spirit. What are we talking about? What is the power of the Holy Spirit? If we're going to understand what it is that we're doing, let's first understand who the Holy Spirit is that is apparently drenching and filling the church. So what does the Bible say? Uh, let's walk through this. Opening passages, Genesis 1. It says that there's a, a void, a formless creation, and it says the Spirit is hovering over the waters. There's something about the Holy Spirit that's going to bring shape and life. And then you see as the, as the Old Testament goes forward, you see that there's these moments where a few select individuals, usually prophets, priests, kings, deliverers. There's few individuals that have the high privilege to be filled by the Holy Spirit. It's people like Samson and Deborah and David and Moses. And there are these incredible moments where God does so much through these honored individuals that get filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see, whoa, when the Holy Spirit, the same one that's hovering over the waters, fills someone, it's incredible what God can do through them. And so we see, working through the Old Testament, as we're working through this covenant that God made with his people, as it's going through, his people keep falling away from the covenant, falling away from the covenant, and then we start hearing whispers that God's going to bring a new covenant. 
a second covenant. And he starts talking about how the second covenant's gonna come. It's gonna come through a suffering servant. And we start waiting for this ultimate king Messiah that's going to show up and then somehow suffer but be victorious over his enemies and bring victory over enemies. And we start waiting for this king Messiah from the line of David out of the tribe of Judah. And we're waiting for this Messiah to come that's gonna set up a new kingdom and a whole new covenant where God's law is not written on tablets, but it takes the stone tablets of our hearts, softens them, and writes his his truth and his law in our hearts. In other words, he'll no longer be changing us from the outside in, but he's going to start changing us from the inside out. And then he starts telling us what to expect with this covenant. And listen to what he says. This is out of Joel chapter 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. Wait a minute, what? It's not just like, maybe one generation gets a person full of the spirit to do mighty things through them, like an, an Elijah shows up, an Esther it's not just like maybe one generation gets one. He's saying, no, no, in this new kingdom, I'm going to just dump out my Holy Spirit on all of my people, top to bottom. It's not the only place he says that. Listen to what he says on, in Isaiah 44. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants says, you know how you're just so deeply thirsting for God's direction in your life? For God's power to heal you in the midst of your circumstance, maybe bodily, maybe relationally, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually. You know how we're so often aching to see victory over those sin struggles? We're just so broken of those who are far from God, wanting to see the miracle of them, them coming back. He says, like a dry, parched desert land, I'm going to just dump out and drench it with my Holy Spirit. It's going to fall on all of my people, top to bottom. There's a new work that he's going to do. See, the Holy Spirit was foretold hundreds of years. And then the Messiah came the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, who suffered and died and rose again, defeating sin and death, winning victory for his people, establishing a new kingdom. And you know what he said? He started to promise, hey, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. He's gonna drench you. You're gonna be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm commissioning you on a mission as my disciples, a great commission. But he says, but don't go yet until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Watch for it. And these things whispered in the prophet of Joel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and other places that there'd be this mighty movement of the Holy Spirit on all of God's people. They're like, what could that possibly look like? And Jesus went further. And here's what he said. Astonishingly, listen to this. He says in, in John chapter 16, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Can you imagine that? I mean, just church, stop and think about what Jesus said. How often have you wished just to be able to see Jesus 
for a moment here on earth and say, man, if I could just run to him, I just would hug him and feel the comfort of being in the presence of Jesus. I would just, I'd fall at his feet and just my heart broken in worship, or I would just, I, I would just run to Jesus and say, Jesus, I just need your guidance here. Jesus, I just need your healing. Can you just stretch out and heal me like you did so many times, so often we're longing for the very presence of Jesus. But Jesus said, I actually need to go away so something that is of greater advantage to you can come. Whatever was about to come was actually even greater than having Jesus bodily present. The Old Testament foretold it. Jesus promised it. And then it came. He came. Disciples were in the upper room. 120 of them, maybe 125. They're all gathered in this upper room, and it says all of a sudden the wind blew through. And the Holy Spirit came down upon them. And immediately they knew exactly what the Holy Spirit, that it was that long for hundreds of years, foretold what Jesus promised. And they went out and miraculously started preaching. And 3,000 people came to faith on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came and the church was birthed. Just as was foretold. And you see what they taught us and what we see in our lives, that man, the Holy Spirit, we see him at work in us doing that very thing, no longer in the old covenant where we've got the law and we're being transformed from the outside in. Now the new covenant, he's changing us from the inside out. And we see that the Holy Spirit, as it says in Galatians, is, is producing, coming up in and out of us things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, these things that are coming welling up like a river of life coming from the inside out. The mark of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of having the Holy Spirit in us as he's making us more like Jesus, making us into the image of Jesus. And we see him empowering us. There's just times where someone in your life, you're like, wow, you have no idea. God used you in my life. I mean, that was a moment that only God could have orchestrated. God did that moment in my life. And what is that? Those are the exact words that Jesus promised when he said, you will see, you've seen me do great things, but under the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll see even greater things. The miraculous empowerment of what God does. But then there's this. We see that in the book of Acts, we see that they're filled at Pentecost. God empowers them. But then as the book of Acts plays out, we see him just again fill them. And again fill them. Acts chapter 4, it says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought he was already filled. No, it's fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. They prayed again in, a, in an upper room and asked for boldness and the place was shaken and it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, but there was a moment where it says again, he was filled with the Holy Spirit when he talks about it. he's continually filled. Either it's like they're pushing deeper and deeper into their relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's like they're reading all of these words from the starting in the Old Testament of just being drenched by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's poured out on you. You'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll drink in the Holy Spirit, completely surrounding and submersed in the Holy Spirit. And as they're going deeper and deeper and deeper into this relationship with the Holy Spirit, they see God do powerful things in and through them. And we're left with this. 
in Ephesians 5, verse 18. Here's what it says. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled. Be filled with something else. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Drink down the Spirit. Let the Spirit overcome you, he says. Let the Spirit empower you. What's so interesting about the way the Greek reads there is he's commanding us to do something, but it's also passive. So it's not really something we're doing. It's something we're receiving. In other words, he's commanding us to be filled by God with the Holy Spirit. In other words, push in to the relationship of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit fill you, surround you, and empower you. Okay, what does all this mean for us? What are we doing as a church? Like, what is the church? The church is God's people that he brings together, surrounded by the, the, the salvation that we've received by Jesus, washed clean by the great work of Jesus in our life, then filled with the Holy Spirit. And because it's the same spirit on all of us, he's pulled us all together so that we can see the Holy Spirit move in our midst. I think every one of us want more of the Holy Spirit in our life. The dry grounds drenched with the victorious power of the Holy Spirit. But did you see how he does it? He does it by giving you some gifts and someone else some gifts and another person some gifts and me some gifts. And he says, no, I, I'm making it so that you will feel my power as you come together and the Holy Spirit is moving through us together. That is what the church is drawn together by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that he can do miraculous things in our lives together. What is this text calling us to do? First of all, lean into the Holy Spirit. If I'm, if my, if I'm living a life reflective of the scripture, then what I'm living in an era, in a covenant, that is to be drenched, immersed, filled with the Holy Spirit that I'm sensing him working in my life, sensing him working through my life. I'm seeing his power in my life. I'm not seeing him do my bidding and fix everything for me. No, I'm seeing a greater submission to him and the work that he's doing in my life. And if I'm following what the scripture is commanding me, I'm trying to lean deeper and deeper and deeper into the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I do that, he makes me fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. But secondly, if I'm following what this is saying, then the more I lean into the body of Christ... I will see how the Holy Spirit is using your gifts that I don't have in my life. I'll see him use your gifts that I need that in my life. I'll see him work through each other in our lives. This past week, um, I was, <clears throat> a couple things happened early in the week. It just got me frustrated. I was discouraged. And then I, I couldn't, for a couple days, I just couldn't shake that discouraged feeling. I was just down, and I started to pray, Lord, I don't want to be discouraged. I want to have joy, and I want to have peace, the peace that passes understanding, but I'm just down. Like, I'm just discouraged. I can't get myself out of this. And I prayed, and, and I just still felt 
down. And so eventually, um, I, I called a buddy of mine, a friend of mine, and I said, um, hey man, can I, uh, can I just ask you, this is what I'm dealing with. Uh, it wasn't a long conversation. I just said, look, I just need your prayer. Like I've got this and this and this kind of discouraging me. I'm down. I, kn- I know that, you know, God's in control. I shouldn't be discouraged, but I'm just feeling discouraged. Can you pray for me? And just very simply over the phone, nothing fancy, just said, Jesus, I just pray that you would encourage my friend, my brother, just ask that you would guard him, encourage him, lift him up. And, and here's what happened for me after that. Like pretty much from the moment I, I put the phone down, it was like something just lifted. I didn't like fall down on the floor. It was just like, it felt like, and, and none of my circumstances had changed. But it almost felt like, and I'm not saying this to prove anything to you. I, I don't need you to believe it. I'm just telling you what happened. It was just almost like there was like a blockade now between my circumstances and, and where my mind and heart was at. And it's just like nothing had changed, but it couldn't get to me anymore. And I feel like the Lord, I, I believe the Lord walked me through that because he's like, hey, you're preaching on this. And I want to remind you, I haven't designed you to be able to do it all by yourself. The Holy Spirit's like, as I'm leading you through this, I want you to know you actually, I, I am only going to move in certain ways through other people in your life. That's how I am moving. Because we all need the body of Christ. Here's what we're, we're going to do today. Um, we're going to end with a time of communion and then a time of prayer. And here's how this is, is going to work both here at the West Pines campus and the Cooper City campus. Um, we have tables here at the front. Here at the West Pines campus, we also have tables in the back. And we're going to come forward and we're going to take uh, the communion. There's the, the little communion packs. You can pull the top part off and eat the bread. And then there's the, the juice inside. And those two elements represent the body and blood of Jesus. The broken body, stay with me, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus is what saves us. He died and rose again, and here's what Jesus did for us. He so thoroughly washed away our sin that now our bodies can be the, a temple housing the very presence of God. He so washed us clean that that same spirit that hovers over the water is the same spirit that lives in you and in me, that unites us together. And so we're going to be reminded of the unity that we have, that Jesus won for us, and be reminded of that that Holy Spirit that unites us together as we take communion in just a moment. But also at both campuses, off to the side, after you come forward, there's going to be some leaders that are going to be up in the front, And if you want to see God's power and you want to ask God to work through your church family in your life, then after you take communion, you can go stand and ask for a prayer leader to pray for you. And maybe you say, look, I'm wanting God's power to show up. I need wisdom. I need direction. Would you pray for that for me? I need healing. Maybe you need healing physically. Maybe you need healing emotionally, maybe spiritually. Maybe there's a sin struggle in your life. Or maybe you want to just come forward and you want to just pray something very open-ended to the Lord where you just simply say, God, can you pray for me? Can you pray that I just experience more of the Holy Spirit in my life? 
You say, what's going to happen when I, when I pray that? It can be just something very simple, just your, uh, a, a humble leader from your church family just praying that you experience more, than the Holy, more of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you and empower you for your life. Uh, here's why I, I want us to take that step together today of just praying over each other, leaning into the Holy Spirit, because, man, I know that's what I want in my life. I want to see more of the Holy Spirit working through me. I want to see more of the Holy Spirit in me as a husband. More of the Holy Spirit as a father. More of the Holy Spirit in me as I'm preaching. More of the Holy Spirit as I'm leading. More of the Holy Spirit in me and more of the Holy Spirit in our church. Don't you want to see more of the Holy Spirit in operation in our church? As you're inviting your friends in, inexplicably they come because the Holy Spirit's doing something. As they come and as people come, it's just like walls and that are, shouldn't come down, get broken down, and more of the Holy Spirit's power drawing people to get saved. I mean, we get to celebrate with people as they're saved and baptized, but don't you want to see a mighty work even greater in our midst of more people coming to faith? More people getting transformed as we sing and worship Jesus. More, more marriages getting restored. More, more young adults returning back to the faith. More students growing deep roots in the faith. More children coming to faith. Don't we want to see more sin struggles having victory over? And don't we want to see more things where, where we're struggling maybe with sin addiction and those things get broken? Don't we want to hear more and more testimony of the power of the Holy Spirit in our midst? I mean, what greater thing could we ask for for our church than the Holy Spirit would be at work in us in an even greater capacity. But don't we want to see that in the church of South Florida? Don't we want to see that even more that the Holy Spirit would just ignite the churches of South Florida so it's not just selfishly something happening here, but we hear a word that it's happening in this town, in this town, in this city, in this city, and in this church, in this church, and that a movement of the Holy Spirit sweeps over our city so that our city is transformed and that our generation gets to see something historic, an entire modern city turned upside down and brought to its knees before Jesus Christ. I believe that can happen. And I believe, I don't know what your view is of our present moment, our present generation. I don't know what your view is of, of the dark hour that we are in, but here's what we know. All it takes is one movement by the Holy Spirit, and he turns it all around. Do you believe that, church? One movement of the Holy Spirit. He just has to touch down. He just has to sweep through, and he turns it all upside down. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. If he can take chaos primordial chaos, and turn it into the universe teeming with life, then he can take our present moment and our generation and turn it all around. That's what we want. And may he start in my life and in your life. May he start in our church and in our city. May we see what the scripture promises, the drenching power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, drawing us together. May we see him do that work. Let me pray and then we'll take communion together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your promise. We thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. 
We invite you into our church. We invite you into our lives. We invite you into our families. We invite you into our, our worship and in our small groups. We invite you into our student ministry and we invite you into our, our kids' ministry and we invite you into our, our service projects and in our missions and we invite you into our, our work as we go out and live out being the body of Christ in our workplaces. We invite you into our, our neighborhoods and we invite you into every sector of our lives. We invite you into our city. We ask you, Holy Spirit, do a mighty work in our city. Do a mighty work in our midst. We see what is promised and what is offered, and we open ourselves to you. Jesus, we thank you for the work you did on the cross, and I pray for each person here that is not 100% that they have taken a step to follow Jesus, that they, even now as I'm praying, would put their faith that Jesus saved them for eternity by his death and resurrection. And if that's you, I invite you to, to surrender your life right now to Jesus and take a step symbolizing that by taking communion with us today. In fact, if you're not ready to take that step, I want to encourage you to, to hold off from taking communion because this is the declaration that Jesus' life and death and resur his resurrection is for you. So Lord, as we take communion today, celebrating our unity, and stepping aside to pray over each other, I pray that you would do a mighty work in our midst. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.